So, you remember last Easter? Do we remember that? How could we forget, right? We were locked down, sheltering in place, churches closed, celebrating the most holy of days virtually, at home, online. Last year during the week leading up to Easter, we were told to brace for a sharp rise in COVID-19 deaths. A government official said that this would be one of the hardest and saddest weeks in American history. And even the president said this week there will be a lot of death. A lot of death continued. Continued through this whole last year. To date, We have lost 554,000 Americans to this novel coronavirus. And worldwide, 2.84 million people have died. In the midst of all that has been going on, this suffering and hardship and death that has touched even our church family and many families here, I've been strengthened by three profound and fundamental realities that are secured for us on resurrection morning. Number one, the tomb is still empty. Number two, our enemy is still vanquished. And number three, death and the grave are still defeated. And on this Easter Sunday, this Sunday in the year of our Lord, 2021, we gather once again as all those that have gone before us do on this day and all those that will come after us, we gather again to celebrate Jesus being raised from the dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. As his followers and representatives in the world, we know this is the most significant event in all of history. It all pivots on this day. Everything else we experience in life is seen through the prism of this sacrificial death by one and the overcoming of the grave by the same. Everything in the Bible Everything in our faith upon which we build our lives, everything, all of our reasons for hoping, they rest on this day, resurrection day, the day Jesus rose from the dead. Can we just give the Lord a big cheer and a clap right now for what he has done? Thank you, Jesus. You rose from the dead. Hallelujah. I have a feeling that we're going to have to do a whole lot better than that someday. But that was good. It's a good start. It's been this way throughout church history. Every believing community, every follower of Jesus understood the centrality of this day, the day of his resurrection. But there was an early New Testament church in Corinth that kind of got it off kilter just a little bit. They, they had a bit of a problem around the, th- the theology of resurrection. And Paul, being the good pastor and apostle that he is, he writes to them and he corrects their misunderstanding. 
He says in 1 Corinthians 15, chapter, or chapter 15, verse 3, For I delivered to you as, the, as a first importance. I love that phrase, first importance. I delivered to you what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, another name for Peter, and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Now, this is when Paul's writing the letter. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Skipping down to verse 12, Paul continues. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Paul just dropped the mic. He just called out this nefarious belief that somehow there is no resurrection of the dead. He calls them out for it, saying that that belief is heretical, that it is not true, that if that were the case, then Christ himself has not been raised. And then he goes on in verse 20 to say, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and then at his coming those who belong to Christ. In Paul's theology, the two resurrections are intrinsically linked. You can't separate the two. You can't have the resurrection of the dead without having Christ being first raised. And if the resurrection of the dead was never to happen, then Jesus didn't need to come in the first place. Paul is, is saying to them, this is the hope because Jesus is the first fruit of resurrection. We too will follow him being raised on the last day. That's hope for us. That's something to look forward to for us. That's what our future holds for us. He rose from the dead and we too will be raised with him. Good. Some people said amen and glory. I was hoping some would. I was feeling all alone up here. Help a brother out, please. Thank you. Thank you, Kati. Paul is also saying something that is a profound truth, that our faith rests upon the factual and historical resurrection of Jesus, that he physically rose from the dead, that he did what he said he would do. And it was witnessed by Peter and the 12 and then by 500 people at one time. 
And then by James, who was Jesus's uh, biological half-brother, and he was also the leader of the Jerusalem church, and then to all the apostles. And then Paul finally says, this same Jesus appeared to one of his own enemies. Paul himself, an enemy of the cross. On the Damascus Road, Jesus appears to him. And so Jesus has appeared to more than 500 people. 500 of them at one time. And it's a compelling argument that indeed this resurrection was a historical fact. Paul puts his credibility on the line even. He says basically, look, most of them are still alive. You don't believe me? Travel to Jerusalem and check out my story. The early church grasped these truths. truths. They understood them. They lived their lives based upon them. They understood that even in the midst of opposition and suffering and plagues and persecution, that the reality of Jesus' resurrection had changed everything. Their whole life was different because he rose from the dead. How much has our life changed because of that reality? How much do we give it credit for the change of life and fulfillment and vision and direction from God? It's all because he rose from the dead that we can even have the life that we have today. And there is so much more to look forward to. It's the same thing the Apostle Peter said to a group of elect exiles of the dispersion, he called them. They were a group of Jesus followers that had been pushed out of Judea and Jerusalem and those areas all the way up into the the area that we call Turkey. Our friends Mildred and Oxcal live there. And these these exiles, these elect exiles of dispersion, he he had... Connection with them, Peter did. And so he writes a letter to them because they themselves are facing great hardship, great difficulty, and soon to be great persecution. And so Peter writes to them, encouraging their hearts. And he says this in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, which is kept in heaven for you. You know, nearly everything that we do in life is fueled by hope. Not always the best of hope, but certainly hope. Very little happens that wasn't hoped for to start with. We hope for all sorts of things, big, enormous things, and we hope for small, trivial little things too. We hope for a better future. We hope to forget our past. We hope to be successful. We hope the sermon doesn't go too long. Some of us hope to go to college. A lot of us hope to have a date. Parents hope their kids will sleep in. I just hope there's a leftover piece of pie after today's Easter Sunday lunch. We hope for things because we want them to work out for our benefit. We want them to add to our lives. We we want them to give us a happier day and and a better life and a more satisfying future. The Bible speaks a lot about hope. 
but not in the context that I've just used it, where we think something might happen or that we'd really like for it to happen, but we're not really certain that it will happen, but we hope so. I certainly hope so. But when the Bible speaks of hope, what Peter is saying to them that they have a, they've been born again into a living hope, when he speaks of that, he's not describing wishful thinking, hoping something will happen. He's speaking out of the reality that something already did. He's speaking based on things that are sure and are absolute and are certain they are rock solid, that we can build our lives upon them, that we can confidently walk into life no matter what it throws at us, no matter what we face, we can walk into it because of what Jesus has done. That's living hope. Peter calls it this living hope that we've been born into. Different from all the things that we reach out and, and grab onto and hope with our own two hands. We all grab for those things. Those things are subject to decay and to frustration and to failure and to sin and even to death. Even good things that we might hope for will eventually fade. But the living hope that Jesus offers never does. You can hope to get married one day. That seems like a good hope. But when you realize that almost 50% of marriages end in divorce, it makes you wonder if marriage is all that we had hoped for. And let me just give this reality to you, that if you hope strictly in the person that you marry, you're going to be disappointed. To which all the wives in the house said, amen. None of the husbands better say that. Oh, me is what the husbands need to say. Oh, me. If you hope for something, even as good as marriage, it may disappoint you. It may not fulfill the way that you think it will. Maybe you hope for a healthy lifestyle or for staying physically fit. But what happens when you get old? Or what happens when you grow unexpectedly ill? Or what happens when there's a genetic abnormality that they can't explain? And now, as a young, healthy person, you're facing very difficult choices. If you hope maybe for financial security, that can seem like it would at least buy you what you need, right? Well, we know that money doesn't buy happiness. What happens when the stock market crashes? What happens when you lose your job, when they lay you off? What happens when even if you can cobble together enough to retire on, it's still not enough? You can put your hope in a lot of things. But there's only one living hope. And he was living when Peter wrote this letter to them. And he's living today as well. This living hope lives independently of anything that can happen to your physical body or to your bank account, or to your future, or to your reputation, or your success, or your failure. This living hope is the one that we have been born into, and it is Jesus himself that is our living hope. We sang it this morning in worship. 
He is our living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter says, it's so certain. It's like it's an inheritance that's already been credited to your account. It's already in your bank account somewhere with the, in the presence of God. And it is so rich and so divine that it is, first of all, undefiled or imperishable, undefiled and unfading. It will never go away. This living hope that we've been born into. If you've been raised with Christ today. Your life, your hope, your future, your joy is all hidden in him. It all rests on him. It all is found in him. doesn't matter what you face, the obstacles, the difficulty, persecution, judgment, hard feelings, misunderstandings, even death in this earthly life. Our hope is living and we can always be secure in what he holds for us. This morning, we gather as a community of believers. We gather to celebrate the risen Savior. And if you are here today or if you're listening and you do not know him as your Savior, as your risen Lord, as the one who provides for you living hope regardless of what you face, as Tim said on the video, today would be a great day to meet him. As we close later on, if you're in that situation, we won't call you out or embarrass you, but leaders will be here and would love to pray with you and introduce you to this risen Lord, our living hope. But we have come to celebrate the one who rose from the dead. The one who came from the Father was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life and announced a new kingdom. And he turned humanity right side up as he works in us inside out. And he died on a cross, giving his life as a ransom for us to pay our penalty for sin. And he rose again on the third day and is very much alive today and is seated at the right hand of the Father waiting for the moment when he will return to judge the living and the dead. And so based on that reality, this is our confession. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Will you say that with me? Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let's say it one more time. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Amen.